very good. Good evening and to you all. Uh, good to see you. Uh, right, we're going to get to Exodus 14, don't worry, uh, but we're starting in Hebrews 11. Uh, the event of the crossing of the Red Sea is one of the iconic moments in the, uh, in the Pentateuch that flows, well, ripples out through the rest of of scripture, so I want to read a few of the verses that uh, help us understand the application of Hebrews of uh, Exodus 14, uh, and I'm going to work my way back to Exodus 14 from Hebrews 11. So bear with us; it'll do you good. The Bible always does you good. Hebrews 11:29. Uh, notice um, this is about the faith of Moses. Hebrews 11, uh, 23 says, by faith Moses, verse 24, by faith Moses, you come right down, by faith he, by faith he, verse 28, through faith he, you look at verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do, were drowned. I submit to you that is not the faith of the people. It's by the faith of Moses they pass through the Red Sea. We'll see that in Exodus 14, but just keep your eyes open for that. Right, back to Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. And, uh, and we'll read a couple of verses here. Isaiah 63. And then we're going to Isaiah 43 in a moment. But Isaiah 63. And uh, verse 11. Then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people, saying, Where is he that brought them out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Moses, I take it. Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him, that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm? Notice the hand of Moses, but it's the glorious arm of Jehovah. Dividing the water before them to make himself an everlasting name. That's the purpose of of them bringing them through. To make himself, the Lord, an everlasting name. Chapter 43, please. Isaiah 43 and verse, verse 15. I am the Lord... Your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King, thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. This is Israel's redemption promise section. Uh, God is saying, you can't see a way, but that's okay. I'm the God that makes a way where there is no way. Psalm 100 Uh, And 6, please. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. Verse 7 of Psalm 106. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies. But... They didn't remember what happened in Egypt, the plagues, but provoked him at the Red Sea, at the sea, even the Red Sea. 
Nevertheless, he saved them. (laughs) They provoked him at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness, and he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then, this is the end of Exodus 14, by the way. Then they believed they his words. They sang his praise. That's chapter 15. Uh, that's, I think, next week for you folks. Uh, right, you can, we can breathe easy. We'll go to Exodus now. Aren't those wonderful verses? Um, and let's read the event that has... Uh, been referred to here in all those passages and others. Now, uh, Exodus 13, now just, just notice verse 20. So they've come out, uh, verse 19, they've taken the bones of Joseph. Uh, and they've come out and they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. Now they've come, they've come up out. And just get, if you can get this in your head, the Suez Canal wasn't built. Some of you will know that. Uh, okay, so the Mediterranean and the Gulf of Suez are not connected. They're, they're on the edge of the wilderness and it's right in front of them. And uh, they're about to head out. Okay, they're at Etham and they're heading out to the wilderness at the southern part of Canaan as they head. Look at verse 1 of chapter 14. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn. They were headed straight for Canaan through the wilderness. The Lord said, Turn. As it happens, they're told to go to Pi Ahiroth, which means they turned right. And they went down the border of the Gulf of Suez, as we as we know it. They we're told to turn and encamp before Pahahiroth between Migdol and the sea. Over against Belzephon, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. We'll see this in a moment. The Lord put them into a cul-de-sac. Okay? Literally, between Migdol and the sea. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart that he shall follow after them. And I will be honoured. Upon Pharaoh, watch that word in the chapter. And upon all his host, and the Egyptians, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And it was told the king of Egypt that the people fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. He took 600 chosen chariots and all the chariots of Egypt and captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued after the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with a high, with a high hand. The hand of the Lord. But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army. And overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi Hahiroth before Baal Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were 
they were sore afraid or they were terrified. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. That is the cry of anguish. It's the cry of pain. It's the cry of terror. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us, thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness? This is what Hebrews 3 and 4 says, that they all died in the wilderness because of unbelief. Okay, This is not faith. But just look, check out verse 13. <laughs> Moses said to the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you this day. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Right, people, I, I'll preach this later maybe, but that's faith, okay? That's faith. The Lord said to Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. And I will get me honour upon Pharaoh, and upon all his host, upon his chariot, and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, whom I have gotten, when I have gotten me honour upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots, upon his horsemen. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that... The one came not near the other all the night, and Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them to the midst of the sea, even all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar or out of the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. And the Lord took off their chariot wheels that they drove them heavily so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh. They came unto the sea after them. There remained not so much as one of them, but the children of Israel walked 
upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord, and believed the Lord, and his servant Moses. I can't resist it. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel. Amen. They believed these words, and they sang his praise. So, this needs no introduction, and, uh, and it's a wonderful story. But we have to zoom up, of course, and work. I hope you're enjoying Exodus, by the way. What a wonderful book. Um, and I've dropped in the middle of it here for chapter 14. But you're, you're learning really throughout uh, Exodus, the story of the wilderness, uh, you're, you're learning something of, of what it means to go with God into the wilderness. Uh, of course, as believers, we are in picture form. We are at the same time, one and the same time, we're in Egypt and we're in the wilderness and we're in the land. Uh, that's where we're supposed to think about ourselves. In, in Egypt, the idea is anticipation. You're, you're wanting to get out and that's where we should be in the world, isn't it? We're here, but we're not wanting to stay. Uh, and, so, and so we're looking to get out. And uh, in the wilderness, the idea is not anticipation, but it's education. It's what you learn in the wilderness that matters. So uh, welcome to the wilderness, people. Uh, we're called to be here and we're meant to learn some things. That's what we're going to do tonight. When you get into Canaan, of course, you've got all the blessings, but you've got some confrontation uh, going on. Uh, and you've got some enemies to deal with as you try and work out the enjoyment of them. We're, we're one and the same time in all three of those places in the New Testament kind of frame. Exodus, of course, um, we're in this great part of Exodus that's about the deliverance. Uh, I got this somewhere, I think it was Dale Ralph Davis, but I certainly stole it, so it's not mine. But the idea of Exodus is that that God is the God who delivers, that you're in that section. Then he's the God that demands, uh, and you'll get there in Sinai. And then he's the God that dwells, and that's, uh, well, they all follow in that order, (laughs) you'll understand. Uh, And so we, we start off with this great story of deliverance, and we've got to learn about God through what he does in deliverance and how he does it and as he takes them into the wilderness Uh, and you'll learn a lot about God on the way through in Exodus and that's where I want to think about uh, our section tonight I want to think about what they learned about God at the Red Sea that is obviously meant to be the lesson because when you get to chapter 15 they sing about the Lord So it's the Lord that they're meant to understand. Now, remember, uh, these people were not all saved individually, right? They were nationally redeemed. So the picture of redemption, of coming out of Egypt and being redeemed by blood and now by power through the Red Sea, is a picture that applies to redemption as a concept but it doesn't mean these individual people were saved quite clearly in Hebrews 3 and 4 the vast majority of them were not believers but we are given these people as lessons in what the flesh and how the flesh that's in 
everyone responds to God. And so there's plenty of lessons for us here uh, in terms of practicalities as believers in the Lord Jesus. And so as we think about this, uh, we need to think about about God and what we learn about God in that context. Right, so I've got seven headings because it would be wrong not to have seven. Um, and, uh, and, and it's all about it's all about different aspects of God that we have to learn. So I'm not going to go verse by verse or section by section. I want to just deal with it thematically uh, tonight. So first of all, I want to think about the salvation of God. How God saves these people and, and what it means to be saved. What, what, what comes after salvation? Because, you know, like you all threw up a hallelujah probably when they got out of Egypt because you're thinking, great, you know, it took a while to get out. There was quite a few, quite a few uh, signs had to be given and, and judgments had to fall. But eventually they get out and it's a bit like when Abraham comes eventually into Canaan. You're like, yes, you know, it took a while, but, but he was in and it took a while, but they're out. Well, well, Passover has happened and uh, the blood has been shed and applied and they're now out. But, well, there's three things that immediately follow salvation in, in, in Exodus. First of all, difficulties follow salvation. Like they're taken straight into wilderness territory, right? Straight away, they're heading for the wilderness, <laughs> okay? It was either go by the way the Philistines, you saw that in chapter 13, and get involved in, in a fight, and the Lord uh, didn't take them that way because they weren't ready for it. But he took them by the desert road. And you'll see as you go through this, you know, it's just all desert. It's the desert of Shur in chapter 15, the desert of Sin in chapter 16, the desert of Sinai in chapter 19. You find the wilderness of Paran and so on. It's just one wilderness, one wilderness after another. Well, welcome to salvation. Right, you get saved and straight into a whole lot of difficulties. Some of you say, I've been there. Those of you that sing, I'm happy all the day. Uh, good, I hope you're living in the good of that but you're probably on your own because Christianity is basically about moving through difficulties with God on the way to glory and about what you learn and that's what we're doing tonight so wilderness, well the wilderness is not what we want right? they wanted milk and honey and you've got the same desires in your heart and you'll get there one day don't worry, there's plenty of milk and honey coming but we don't want the wilderness but we need the wilderness And, uh, and actually, to be in the wilderness with nothing and no one except God is just the place we need to be. Um, it's a place of testing. You understand that. It shows who we are. It brings out all sorts of issues. And God tells us, you know, he, he takes them into a wilderness with a whole lot of dangers. There's all sorts of nations round about them as they go through. You'll see that there's not a soldier among them, really. They've been slaves 400 years. They were entirely vulnerable and they had nothing. But they had God. That's, that's Christianity. Okay, so, so they immediately they face difficulties. Paul says in Acts 14 that they had to, this is the new believers, here's the message, that through much tribulation they had to enter the kingdom. So, uh, so um, there was a purpose to the difficulties, of course, and you'll see that tonight. God, put, God actually puts them into specific difficulties. I've said in, a, in verse 2 that he puts them into a cul-de-sac. We'll come back to that. 
Uh, but he does it for a purpose. That they might learn to trust the Lord and see the hand of the Lord at work. So, so he saves into difficulty. He saves into deliverance. Uh, and that's really, that's when you get in the understanding of this cul-de-sac issue. Because the, the wilderness was straight before them, but they t- gets them to turn right into this cul-de-sac where they had the sea before them. And all there was was in the mountains of Migdal on their right. And then the Egyptians behind them. Right, they were completely into a corner. It made no sense whatsoever. If you were plotting any route from Egypt to Canaan, you don't go through Pihahiroth. One Number one, because it's hard to say. Number two, because it's a really bad place to be. And they were faced with the Red Sea. Or actually, I come from up the coast where they would say the Reed Sea. You understand that? The Reed Sea. But actually, in this case, they'd be entirely correct, because that's what it is. It is the Sea of Reeds, and therefore, well, they're usually correct up the coast, but the Reed Sea is what it is. And they were faced with it. It wouldn't even be the place you would cross if you tried to, because the reeds would get in the way. But God had them there, because after their salvation, they had to experience deliverance. Now, get hold of this. They've been 400 years a slave nation. The psychological scars ran deep. God had to show them their enemy lying dead on the seashore. Right? They had to feel, not just that they'd escaped from their enemy, but that their enemy had no power over them anymore. Okay? This is Romans 6, by the way. Okay? This is, this is what... God wants us to experience after salvation. Sin shall not have dominion over you. It used to grip you, but you're meant to understand that it can't demand anymore. And Pharaoh can roar all he wants, and Egypt can make claims all they want. There is an ownership question. You see it in verse 5. Look, uh, Pharaoh says, we've let Israel go from serving us. It was, they were Pharaoh's servant. And God says, no, now they're mine. And they had the feeling to know that. And in verse 30, they saw, they saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And the words of Psalm 106, then they believed his words. Then they sang his praise. Christian, we are meant to be in the experience post-salvation of deliverance, right? And we're meant to feel it. Remember Joshua took, uh, took his commanders out one day and he took those kings that they'd conquered. And he got, them, he got them to put their feet, one at a time I take it, on their neck. What, what was that all about? <laughs> Because these men had to understand something of the victory of deliverance over the enemy. He wanted them to feel it. Christian, God wants us to live in the good of being delivered from the dominant power of sin. Not that you will never fail and not that you will never fall. But to experience something of the fact that you have a new power in life. Because you have a new master. And so so God put them into a cul-de-sac. That he might show them his greatness and that he might show them the deliverance, the issue of deliverance. And, um, well, finally, this is chapter 15, so I'm not going to go into it, but there's delight after salvation. Like, when you get saved, you're meant to be singing. 
uh, through all the difficulties you're meant to be singing and that's chapter 15 but that's, that's next week so you can enjoy that next week right so that's the salvation of God and the, the frame of it all is part of the salvation experience that God has brought and that's how God saves secondly I uh, want to think about the shepherding of God because we need to understand how God leads his people um, this nation went over they went over the Reed Sea they went over it with God but they went over it because of one man uh, he's called in Isaiah the shepherd of the, flo- of the flock God gave them Moses and you see when they're panicking in verse 10 and 11 when they are so afraid and they're starting to be critical and they're starting to raise questions and all the rest of it there is there's one man that leads them through and by faith, Hebrews 11, they pass through the Red Sea. The Lord uses Moses, you notice that as we read, uses Moses' hand. Uh, there's, this, there's a couple of hand things going on in the verses, if you read through chapter 13 to 14. Because it's with, with a high hand and a strong arm, the Lord took them out, right? It's the arm of the Lord. You saw that in Isaiah too, it's his glorious arm. The hand of the Lord and the, the arm of the Lord is what's taken them out. But, but he, he shows them that in Moses. And it's Moses' hand that's raised up and held out. And, uh, and you'll see at the end of Exodus 14, notice, that they feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. And what God was doing was... was was bringing them to trust in and to rely upon and to follow the leadership of Moses. Okay? So, so that's what he was doing at the Red Sea. He was doing many th- God does many things at once, by the way. Uh, whenever you say what God is doing, you know, God is doing this. Well, that's just what you've seen. He's probably doing 50 things, but you've just seen that one thing. So that's okay. Enjoy it. But he's, he's always doing more than one thing at once. <laughs> He's lifting up before them Moses. Now we get this explicitly in 1 Corinthians 10. Because it says they were baptized to Moses in the cloud and in the sea. In the sea and in the cloud above them, they were baptized unto Moses. That is, they were baptized to his leadership. They were going under the leadership of another man. Not Pharaoh now. But Moses, um, it's directly parallel in First Corinthians chapter twelve with Christ, of course. Um, see, see, he's given them a shepherd, <laughs> and there's hardly one comes closer to being a prefiguring of Christ than Moses. All right. So salvation is yes about deliverance, and it's about delight, and it's about difficulties, but it's also about it's also about having a shepherd. A leader like no other. Christian, the salvation of God is always an endeavour to be directly linked with the person of Christ. Not just in the blood of the cross and the sacrifice, but in the yes, the getting out of Egypt. But you don't leave Christ behind in Egypt. Okay? You need him through the wilderness. 
He is, of course, actually the angel of the Lord, verse, the angel of God, verse 19, uh, who, who is the Lord in action fighting for his people, but I'll come back to that maybe. But, but certainly in the figure of Moses, we're meant to see the fact that, that for the wilderness, for all of the difficulties, we have a shepherd. And so the salvation of God links us with, with a shepherd. And our baptism was a statement of our commitment to follow him. Okay? So if you're not baptized, you get yourself baptized. If you're saved and not baptized, you, be, you'll, you won't mind me calling you an anomaly, will you? Maybe you will. You're an anomaly from a biblical perspective. You shouldn't exist. Because God's people, when they get saved, are baptized. And part of your baptism is a recognition of the Lordship of Christ publicly recognized. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. So the salvation of God, the shepherding of God, God gives, God gives shepherds. He also gives under-shepherds, of course, to the chief shepherd. You've got to follow them too, and they have to be worthy of following, and they should be following Christ so that they can be followed. But Christ's the shepherd. Right. Thirdly, the supremacy of God. Now this is clearly meant uh, to be seen in the chapter. You know, you're always trying to see where where things begin and end, and also what is repeated throughout a chapter. If you're trying to understand, you know, preachers shouldn't just be making up points and, and sticking them in the chapter. They ought to come out of the chapter, okay? So hopefully we've seen that the whole idea of salvation and the whole idea of a shepherd is is the climax of Exodus 14 and, and the beginning. But throughout it you have this repetition of the word honour. You see that in verse 4, in verse uh, 17, in verse 18. The Lord talks about being honoured. I will be honoured. And it's the supremacy of God that we're meant to see. Uh, God is, in the language of uh, the verses we read in, in the New Testament, or, the, or in Isaiah rather, uh, that, that he will get an everlasting name. He will get himself a name. God is glorifying himself. The word honour here is the word for, for heavy. Um, it's the idea of weight. Uh, and, and so the purpose of all of this experience was the glory of the Lord. Well, there's a thing. You ever, I don't know if you folks ever find yourself in a cul-de-sac. Maybe you live in a cul-de-sac. Literally, but I mean, I'm talking figuratively. In your life, you know, a dead end. Place you never planned to be. Maybe you're petrified. It's verse 10. Maybe you're stuck between the sea and, and the enemy and there doesn't seem to be a way out and Migdal's on your right, which is straight mountains. You've no chance. Well, remember this, Christian, that, that God's purpose is not your short-term happiness. Maybe you wish it was, but that's, uh, that's our small mind, isn't it? God's purpose is his glory. And through an experience that was traumatizing and was difficult and was hard, he was going to get honor. You know, throughout the, uh, throughout the Old Testament, the, the crossing of the Red Sea, the power of God shown at the Red Sea just reverberates because it's the, 
Well, it's the statement of power in the Old Testament. It is replaced, you know. It is replaced. It's replaced by the resurrection of Christ, which becomes the the typifying of the power of God. But God got himself a name. You know, it reverted, or reverted, reverberated through. It reached Jericho. Um, it reached all throughout Canaan, it seems. God got himself a name. As he works in your life, remember this, the purpose is the glory of God. And if you don't understand the way, and very often we don't, and if it doesn't make sense, remember this, the glory of the Lord. You know, verse 30 tells us that his judgment brings him glory. The hand of the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. The Lord saved Israel. And the fact that he saved them, and they saw it, brought him glory. His people praised him like they had never done before. The supremacy of God. Right, fourthly, very linked with that, is the strength of God. And that's what you have in verse 31. Uh, Look at verse 31. Israel saw that great work, or better, it's the great, it could be the great hand of God. Uh, But really it's the idea of the great power of God. Israel saw the great power of God. His great hand of power. They saw it. The hand of the Lord. How How big do you think his hand is? You know, um, when you can't see a way through and when you've got a difficulty that seems impenetrable it is not too big for the Lord Uh, he has proven that he can deal with anything and if he doesn't take it out of the way it's not because he can't it's because he won't And this contrasts with the resurrection power that is found or replaces it in the New Testament is is important because because the the power of God shown in the Exodus or or in the the Red Sea equates to the Passover uh, like the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ relate to one another. Uh, Let me read you a quote from Mottier. The experience of the Red Sea stands in the same relationship to their Passover redemption as the resurrection of Jesus does to his cross. The cross is the finished work of salvation. The resurrection is that act of God that confirms the reality of the finished work and gives us the assurance that our sins have indeed been forgiven and our eternity made secure. They left Egypt, but until they got on the other side with the enemy completely destroyed... The full enjoyment and the full assurance of their salvation wasn't seen. So he blew a hole in the Red Sea. Um, in chapter 15 they'll describe when they sing about him as the Lord as a man of war. They were totally taken up with the fact that he was strong. 
the man of war. You'll notice the angel of God is part of this. Uh, look at verse 19 and 20. Um, the, uh, uh, the statement is, is made that, that the angel of God goes up before the camp uh, of Israel, so he was before them. He removed and went behind them. The angel of God was leading them out. He thought Moses was leading them out. Well, he was. <laughs> but it was messenger Jehovah. Messenger Jehovah was leading them out. But now when the enemy is coming, he goes behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them to behind them. And, and stood between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And you see all those chariots that pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, verse 9. The full army of Egypt. All that remained. Couldn't get near them all night. Because messenger Jehovah was in the way. They couldn't lift a finger. The whole thing speaks of the strength of God. Christian, you can rely on him. You can rest on him. You're in his hand. And there's no bigger hand. The great hand of God. Fifthly, the sovereignty of God. We learn about the sovereignty of God uh, in this section. So, first of all, the Lord sovereignly led them the right route. <laughs> so he's going to take them through the wilderness. You saw this in chapter 13, probably, that, that they could have gone the way of the Philistines, uh, verse 17. It was closer it would have seemed to have been less trouble, certainly easier. You could buy bread from the Philistines, maybe. You might have had a, had a possibility of getting some food from them. Certainly more civilised, it would seem. But God sovereignly chose the right route for them. And it was a wilderness route. We've been there already. He sovereignly read them into the right cul-de-sac. We've been there already to get him honour, to show them that he's the God that makes a way where there is no way. But one of the clear things that gets repeated throughout the chapter that reflects the sovereignty of God is the Lord sovereignly hardening the right heart. You'll see that repeatedly, verse 4, verse 8, verse 17. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now you've been here already in Exodus. <laughs> okay, and. Uh, you know, look at verse verse 3. God knows how our enemies think. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are all entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. Interesting, the Lord knows how your enemies think. He hasn't got a clue half the time. He knows how they think. And he moves sovereignly to harden the heart of Pharaoh with strength. The movements of the enemies of God's people are not outside of his control. Like, just let that settle down in your mind for a moment. You know, we get all excited when there are forces move against God's people. We should be as calm as Moses. Yeah? And as confident as Moses. You know, sometimes the government puts out some sort of legislation or there's something happens, you know. 
and the Christians are flapping about the place like this is, you know, it's, 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 and it's all, uh, it's all very excitable. Calm down. We need to learn to face it all with the confidence of Moses. He says, the Lord shall fight for you, verse 14. Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. Hold your peace. I like that. <laughs> yeah. He, he's, he's just telling them to be quiet, alright? He says, be quiet. All this chattering going on, and all this complaining going on, you ever felt like telling the people of God to be quiet? No, of course not. Um, there's all this, all this going on, all this clamour about, well, why is this happening? We could have done this, and this should have been better. The Lord will fight for you. Now, that doesn't mean you sit around your couch waiting for the Lord to do things, right? You understand that. But we are not the answer. We never are the answer, okay? Like, no matter how capable you are, how powerful you are, how much of a brain you've got, how much you're able to talk, however clever you are at convincing people of things, you are never the answer. Right? The Lord is. He knows your enemies. He knows your path. He knows how to move the hearts of men. And he does so. And he brings Pharaoh out. A wicked man. See, this is the man who had said, and this comes back to this whole idea of the supremacy of, of the Lord. The Lord getting honour. What had Pharaoh said? How many times did he said it? Who is the Lord? <laughs> who is the Lord? Pharaoh, the Lord could well say, who is, who is Pharaoh? <laughs> By the way, the king of the world, really, at the time, Who is the Lord? The Lord shall get himself a name. The Lord hardened his heart and brought him to a wicked end. You know, it is it is the same for all that set their face against God. Okay? Let's be clear. They are responsible. The Bible makes that clear. The responsibility of man is clear. But God moves in response to and in conjunction with their heart. Sixthly, we'll try and finish quickly. Um, the steadfastness of God. Um, <laughs> the steadfastness of God. This is back to this whole section in verse ten and eleven of the panic and the and the sarcasm. You know, we 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 read about this in in the psalm, psalm 106 that they did not consider the wondrous works of the Lord they didn't remember, I mean how long like, how long was it since they've seen the plagues, like it's, like it's kind of yesterday isn't it, it's, it's not it's not far in, and the Lord had said in chapter 13 hadn't he, that they were to remember them they were to be remembered um, but they didn't they were to keep actively in their mind what they'd seen down in Egypt. But Psalm 106 says they didn't, and so they rebelled by the Red Sea. <laughs> and it's just like, like they didn't deserve any of this. 
Like here, they, God's brought them out with a high hand, a mighty hand, and now they're just, well, they provoked the Lord, Psalm 106 says. They provoked at the Red Sea, yet he saved them for his name's sake. Now, I know these weren't believers, but like you could write that across our life, couldn't you? Like so often, when we respond badly to difficulties, when we when we fail and we fall over, and uh, we provoke the Lord, yet he saved them for his namesake. Aren't you thankful for the steadfastness of God? That when we go up and down, maybe you're having a good day, maybe you're having a good week, maybe things are fine. But maybe they're not, and yet the Lord never changes. And the God who had a plan for them to get them out of Egypt and get them into Canaan. In the face of, of all of the provocation, he saves them. And the Lord says to Moses, Wherefore I Christ unto me, speak the children of Israel, they go forward. Like, move. And he sends them on, and he takes them out. And they go from provoking the Lord and complaining and all of this to singing. And you know, you read chapter 15 and you think, wow, wonderful. Two million people singing the praise of the Lord. <laughs> I wish I'd been there. But it's okay, I'm going to be in heaven and there's going to be more. And they'll sing better, so it's okay. But but you would think when they're sitting on the Red Sea, you know, you say, well, you see you on Sunday morning, you oh, belting out. Praise the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe not the same on Monday morning, is it? Are you getting on Tuesday afternoon? Provoking the Lord. But the Lord is steadfast. Finally, the sufficiency of God. Uh, and this is emphasized throughout, right? The, that all they needed was the Lord. Uh, this, this is the story of the wilderness, right? Uh, you know, you'll get it at, in chapter 15. You'll see it at Mara and at Elam. Uh, he's the Lord that heals. Jehovah, Rapha, and so on. But... Uh, but you see it in chapter 14 too, that, that this is the, the Lord is sufficient for them. That's the emphasis of verse 13 and 14 uh, of chapter 14. Verse 13 and 14, this whole idea of fear ye not, stand still. The Lord, it's the salvation of the Lord. The Lord shall fight for you. So be still. Right? So he is sufficient. It's the emphasis of verse 19 and 20 because the angel of God is the one that protects them. And, and they are just, you know, they are completely kind of passive and, hope, well, they're helpless and hopeless, kind of hanging about there. You know, a nation of slaves that wouldn't know how to fight their way out of a paper bag. And psychologically aren't fit for it anyway, right? And don't trust the Lord enough really to know what way is up. But yet God is sufficient for them. It's all the Lord. Uh, I love ver- I mean, verse 20, 24. Um, when the, the Lord... <laughs> see, the, the angel of God's in the cloud. And, and the Lord looks out of the pillar of fire at the Egyptians, the idea. You know, it's like, it's, it's like the, the cloud's taken aside and the Lord looks out on, on the Egyptians. You know, the mighty army of the Egyptians. Um, what, you know, like what they're doing. What are they up to on that side of the cloud? Before he will deal with them. And then the Lord, look at, look at the language of verse 25. The Lord takes off their chariot wheels. <laughs> it's just, you know, off they go into battle, just 
takes off their chariot wheels. There's something deliberately silly about the Egyptians' attempt to take God's people back. They are fighting an absolute lost cause. Because God is sufficient for his people. Christian, be encouraged. Exodus 14 uh, will tell us many things, but it tells us this, that you can face absolutely anything with God. Even a cul-de-sac with reeds and a sea in front of you and an enemy behind you. He's the God that delivers. And he still delivers. But remember as you get through Exodus that he will make demands. And he's every right to. But when he's made demands, he also dwells. How good is the God we adore. Let's close in prayer. Our blessed God, we give thanks for time around the word of God this evening. The people of God have come and come to spend time considering the greatness of the story of deliverance. We hardly understand our own deliverance. The enemy was far greater than a pharaoh. And it took more than power we remember uh, that just like it did in Egypt, it took precious blood. And we give thanks this evening for a shepherd far greater than Moses. And a salvation that has taken us into a wilderness where God is all we really have. Help us to see things that way. And help us to live a little better. And to trust a little more as a result of our meeting tonight. Uh, bless the people of God. Uh, And take us home, we pray, in the manner in which the Lord would have us to walk, trusting every step of the way. We give thanks and commit ourselves to thee in the Saviour's precious name. Amen.